find out if you're ready for love. Here's your marvelous host, Nikki Lee. Hello, and welcome to Ready for Love Radio. This is your host and love coach, Nikki Lee. Emotions. You know, to a lot of people, that can be a dirty word. And it seems like there's there's two two ways we we have our emotions. We either try to suppress our emotions and hide them from everybody, or they're on full display for people. And we kind of let our emotions run us. So we either hide them or they're all over the place. And we don't really know how to deal with or manage our emotions. So is is that how our emotions have to be? Or is there another option? Now, we, we all know that we meet some people and it seems like they either don't have any emotions or maybe, just maybe, could it be that they have learned a secret to manage and handle their emotions. Is that possible? Hmm. Well, my guest today is Kim Corte. And you know what? I think she can help us learn more about that. I think she can help us learn that how how our emotions work and how we maybe can get a better handle on them. What do you think, Kim? Is that possible? I do, Nikki. Thank you for having me. You know, I, I looked over your information, and I love, you know, so many of us own our own business, and so we're, we're called the CEO, and normally that's a chief executive officer, but you call it the chief emotions officer. I love that. That is so cool. Why? Why? How did you come up with that name? Well, it was easy because I used to tell people you're the CEO of your life, and uh, the focus of emotions, especially in business, is just not there. It's starting to become more, but it it there's been how many years? Twenty five years of of emotional intelligence training, and it's still not being really incorporated into business. And this is, it doesn't matter if you're a business of one or a business of, of hundreds of thousands. We are emotion beings. Yeah. There's anyone who says that they don't feel, um, yeah, no, that's not true. <laughs> it, it, we all feel. And this so is true. emotions officer helps highlight that. I like that. I like that. Well, and, and the thing is, you, you have to feel. Now, you don't have to go overboard with it. Like I said, you don't have to make it on full display for everybody, especially, you know, being overly emotional. But we, we are emotional beings, and we do have feelings. And in business, we, we have to... We have to have feelings to some degree. We just, we have to. But, yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I like that. So, well, go ahead, us, sorry. Give us a little bit of your background. How did you get into this? Did, did was, was this? Was this what you always planned to do when you were a little girl? No, it was not what I planned. <laughs> In fact, I'm a very process-oriented person, I had a business for, well, I was in accounting for many years. Then I became a consultant and implemented accounting systems and then focused mainly on, it's called Procure to Pay, which is uh, basically a a workflow system to automate uh, invoice approval. And I just have this kind of a brain. It was only after a brutal divorce. And when I say brutal, I literally laid on the floor of my condo for I don't know how long because I was so devastated. And it was only after I got up and realized that there was a lot of things that had gone wrong. I wasn't paying attention. I didn't want to feel this way again. 
So I turned myself into a project. And I first focused on thinking, because isn't that what everybody says to do to manage emotions? Manage your thoughts. So I thought, okay, this will do it. And it didn't really work. And it wasn't until I discovered the theory of constructed emotions that I came up with a concept for myself or a framework and I now teach that framework because I realize how powerful it is. And it's based on the most current neuroscience. So it's not like I just made something up out of a hat. There is a theory that we construct our emotions. Well, you know, I, I often joke that I'm a work in progress and have been, especially since I got my certification for coaching, because I, I learned so much about myself while going through the training, which I, I didn't expect that, um, but I'm, I'm glad I did. And I, I call my, my main love coach because I figured that when I started the training to be a coach, it was going to be a journey. You know, it was, I was beginning the training and I, I just felt that it was going to be a new a new journey in my life, and I didn't know where it was going to take me. I, I really had no clue how how much the trajectory of my life was going to change with it. So it it became much more prophetic than I realized. Um, but I, I like I said, I often joke that my life is a work in project. I mean, in progress. Um, so I hadn't really ever thought about the fact that I was making my own life a project, but work in progress and life being a project is pretty much the same idea, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. In fact, if we are not progressing, if we are not trying to manage the project, like you were saying before, the project manages us, and so we go yeah. off into every direction. The thing is, is that these experiences, whether we curate them or not, they mold who we are and they mold how we feel. They mold how we respond and to the world and to life. So it's a matter of, do you, do you want to manage the project or do you not? Right. Right. Well, you know, I, I say too, you know, there, I actually was just having this conversation with my brother. Um, he he's he's from here in Virginia, always been around here and and that kind of thing. And he just married a, a really nice Latino woman from Colombia, and she moved here. And and so Virginia, you know, rural living con- country guy. Well, okay, I don't dare to call him a country girl guy, or he'll come back here and clobber me. But. <laughs> you know, somebody, somebody that's used to living in a, a rural area just married somebody that's a, a fiery Latino woman, and cultures are clashing, you know. So he's he's learning about her culture. She's learning about his culture, and it's... It's it's interesting, and I I was I was laughing so hard I was crying with him telling me stories about the two of them, and you know her being used to her way and him being used to his way, you know. And I told him I said this is a fantastic opportunity for you to grow as a person and learn new things and and this thing, you know, and and it's it, there's that's fantastic to do that kind of thing, and like I said to grow as a person. You know, and I've I've got this theory that if if we aren't growing by learning new things, experiencing new things, and this kind of thing, our life becomes stagnant. What do you think about that? Well, actually, a big part of what I teach is around brain health, because okay. if if our brains are not healthy and being treated with the proper care then your emotions are much harder to manage. And we, uh, we misfire. Uh, I can get into that l- a little bit more later as to what I mean. But they know now that if you are not learning, if you are not expanding and, and growing intellectually and being exposed in social, you are more susceptible 
to Alzheimer's and to dementia. So it's not just, I mean, it's a health crisis for us right now. And part of it could be that we are not growing and learning and being social enough. So your brother's improving his brain health by having another culture in his his house. Awesome. That makes a lot of sense, actually, because... Well, that's the whole cliche, use it or lose it kind of thing, you know. Um, We've got to stay active, not just physically, but mentally as well. Well, what about last year when when the schools were closed, you know, and kids were, quote, unquote, learning from home, you know, and and you saw so many problems and and their grades were slipping so bad and this kind of thing. And and they they needed some... Some kids just needed a certain sort of learning and couldn't make the switch to remote learning and were having so many problems, you know. So interesting, interesting. All right, good good information. And I've, I've been thinking about suggesting something for my dad, um, and I think you just prompted me to go ahead and push that to, to get my brother to do that. Yeah, so. get, get him to learn another language. That'll really help. That's one of the things. Well, I've, I've been thinking Spanish so he can talk to his new daughter-in-law. Yeah, I can see that now. Um, well, and he's he's always been very creative, but he hasn't done anything with that for years and years and years. And I was going to suggest some things that he might be able to do to to stir that creativity again. Um, I, I don't even think my brother even remembers it's been so long since he did anything creatively. Um, but I was thinking that that could be something good for him to tap back into. Interesting. Now, you've got a book called The Perfect Heart, Creating and Maintaining Love-Life Balance. Um, Why did you decide to write a book? I told you I'm about process, right? Right. And when when my divorce first happened, I said, okay, where, where did I go wrong? And I looked at a couple of things. One was, and this is, goes, is, really to mindfulness, was that I just met him. I was in a really bad place emotionally. So that divorce was not the first uh, emotional earthquake I had experienced. I had um, childhood inappropriate behavior uh, with me. I don't want to trigger anybody, but it's not hard to figure it out. I also had a mother who was an alcoholic who died, and I was devastated by it. And I met my ex-husband about a year later, And this was when I was confronting the person who had uh, been inappropriate and, you know, reeling from my mom's death. So basically, I was a woman in an emotional uh, down spiral, and he felt like the person to save me, right? You know, Mm -hmm. my white knight. And so I, I realized that I, before I got into another relationship, I needed to be whole And part of that was I needed to focus on what I was looking for in my next relationship. But I also saw that I didn't have good balance. And I created this heart-shaped Venn diagram. And basically, it's it's two circles that overlap. So if you think about the chevron, you know, the the double circles or the visa circles, and then a V at the bottom. So the circles represented... Uh, myself and my partner, um, our time independently, and where they overlapped was our time together. And then below was the friends and family. So it was to represent how I spent my time. And I realized that I was my unhappiest when we spent too much time together, which I called uh, the skinny heart, or when we spent very little time together, which I called the chubby heart, because it was wide apart because We had um, so little time together. And that uh, was my entree into coaching. And I wrote that book because so many people love the idea of my heart and having a list of what to focus on when you're looking for somebody or just helping people to focus and be mindful in relationships. So uh, I wrote the book after much encouragement because it was a process. Interesting. I I like that idea of comparing your time together, your time apart. And that's, I like that. I like that very much, actually. 
because that makes you kind of analyze the varieties and see how you I like that very much actually. Hmm. You know, I didn't I didn't know it at the time that I did all of this, but we for 95% of our existence is on autopilot, meaning we use our past experience in order to do what we do, how we feel, what we think. All of these things are based on our past experience. We don't have to relearn how to drive. We don't have to relearn how to write. You know, the brain has all this. It's called neuronal wiring. And, you know, we, we sometimes forget, like, our wiring might not be very good. And that is what mindfulness is all about. And that's what this tool was, is all about, was to help us to be mindful. So I, not knowing that, but it dovetails into what I do today because our emotions are pretty much on autopilot. So how do we, how do we make those adjustments? And so it was, a, it was a good transition to go from the, the book into what I do today. Very true. That, that really ties into the book I'm ghostwriting, too. That was interesting, interesting. I like, how, I like how all these different things that I do kind of all like tie into each other. And, and the ideas that spark for me. I like that. Very cool. Hmm. Good. Yeah. It gets the mind working. <laughs> so. which, which we need, right? <laughs> well, it, it doesn't help me sleep better, but it, it gets the mind working at like funniest times of the day, too. So, And people wonder why I sleep such strange hours. I'm like, because the mind doesn't shut. I don't have an on-off switch. <laughs> so. That's so strange. Plus, I deal with people like all around the world, so you just you oh, yeah. never know what time I'll be up or down or whatever. So, interesting. All right. Um, fascinating. Okay, so emotional awareness. That see, I talk about awareness a lot here. Um, whether it's being aware of what's happening around us, being aware of our partner, and you know what they need or what they they need from us if they're even if they're okay so why why are you focused on emotional awareness which i think is wonderful but why are you focusing on that other than there's a need for it why are you focusing on that well because there's a uh, let me just put it this way we have a sense it's called the eighth sense and it's that eighth sense is called interoception. Interoception. Interoception Ooh. is how we feel inside of our bodies. And it's how we are, ident- are able to identify our emotions, our emotional responses. If, if you think about everything that you feel, you feel it in your body. And they've actually done bodily maps and asked people to map out how they feel different basic emotions. And it's very similar. So our emotions are felt inside of our body. So if we're able to connect to that, that feeling inside of us and to be able to identify the emotion, then that gives us that ability to recognize our emotions that much quicker. And when we are able to do that, that gives us the ability to recognize it and either take action of some sort, either just to recognize it or to do something about it. Like if we recognize fear, then we are able to do it. The problem is, is that our emotions are based on our history, right? We just talked about how the brain uses uh, our past history to, to, for energy efficiency. So if we are not aware of our emotion, one, that's not great. But if we're not able to distinguish that it's right or wrong, that's another issue. So awareness isn't just feeling it inside of your body, which is, is key, but it's being able to make a distinction between our various emotion states. And what I mean by that, I'll use food because I use cooking analogies to help people 
kind of visualize and understand what I'm talking about. If you think of anger like a pepper, a pepper can be very mild and sometimes almost sweet, and then it can be so spicy, your eyes are watering, your mouth is on fire, and you, you're just running around trying to find milk or something to, to get the heat away. That's the equivalent to having a habanero is like fury or indignation, where if you are maybe having a pepper that's slightly spicy, that could be irked or irritated where anger might have a, be a jalapeno. So this idea of having this distinction in our emotions and our emotional responses is really critical because what you're doing is, is you're managing your emotions from where they start, which is the recipes in our head, and giving your brain recipes in order to better identify them then the things that are produced from our emotions, which are our behaviors, our thoughts, our decisions, are more well-tuned and well-defined. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I like how you're tying it to food because it, it makes it... It's interesting to have the examples to kind of tie it to. It's interesting to, that you're using foods because usually people give us like pictures to think about or, or visuals, but the, the taste actually is an interesting contrast. So it's just it's interesting that you're doing the different sort of tapping into a different sense. How about that? Um, yeah, and so let's, can we just for a minute, can I bring in taste? Sure. So flavor, what we have in the way of flavor is a combination of senses. It's a combination of visual, what we see, uh, what we smell, and our, our sense of, or the sense of taste. But the flavor itself can, can be different, but it's this combination plus texture, because is it wet or is it dry? And our brain often predicts what we taste based on Ooh. what we see what we smell, what we, you know, the, the texture of it, and we can get it wrong. And that's why a lot of people will taste things a couple of times. That's, well, that's, a also, prediction. that's also predicted mm -hmm. by the past because we're, we're gonna, we automatically think about what it tasted like last time we had it. Exactly, exactly. And our emotions, and this is why I talk about the ingredients and when I teach, the ingredients that we use to predict our emotions, because emotions are a sense. A lot of people don't realize this, but we pre the brain predicts what we see. The brain predicts what we taste. The brain even predicts what we hear. That's why hearing and listening are two different things. There's a lot of prediction that takes place by the brain, and then the brain has prediction error that corrects it. So this same idea of flavor is also what I use for emotion, and this is why I talked about something that's really hot versus what isn't, because our emotions are equally a prediction by the brain. So if we are better at predicting, then we're better at managing. Interesting. Well, and I haven't thought about it this, I, I love when my guests make me think about things so differently. I hadn't thought about it, but foods impact us in so many ways. And like you said, they, they impact all of our senses before we eat it and after we eat it. Yes. And it affects yeah. us emotionally. Yeah, True. <clears throat> Imagine how you feel. So uh, I use kind of a, a flavor palette when I talk about emotions and something that's, that's really yummy and tasty or you want to spit it out or something that's super <laughs> savory or maybe it's super salty or super uh, spicy or it's very bland. And if you think about all of those different flavor palettes, it's really true of our emotions. Like if you are, have a huge crush on someone, it's almost saccharine sweet, right? Mm 
versus love and the different states of love can have a different texture and flavor. And it's, it's kind of unique to each one of us, our recipes. Actually, all of our recipes for every emotion is unique to each one of us. But being able to compare it to food makes that relationship, one, very relatable because you can imagine the feeling of tasting a hot, spicy pepper and relate it to being either enraged or angry. Like you can see that, that, that variation. You can understand it and relate to it. But it also doesn't make it about us. It makes it about some flavor. And when we take the sense of self out of it, it makes it less about us and more about a recipe in my head or a flavor palette. And that makes it easier for us to apply these concepts. Well, it makes it easier for us to analyze it too. Yep, exactly. Interesting. Okay, now how about it can be so hot in a good way? Well, yes, but that could be um, something that's super sweet, right? Like passion. Um, that now you might think of that as fiery, but it could um, people think of passion as fiery because uh, that's just the the connotation. But think of about a food that you feel super strongly about. Like when I was a little girl, I loved wedding cake, loved 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 wedding cake. I can still remember going to uh, a wedding and that was be the first thing I would do when we get to the reception because I had a ton of cousins that all got were all much older and it seems like we were always going to a cousin's wedding and I remember getting to the reception and running over to see the cake and looking at what piece I wanted when they cut it and I was <laughs> super passionate about it so when you think about a, not even just a food but something that you eat a dish like what are the components of that dish that you are so passionate to eat and you feel that that emotion of passion to eat it that's it's not always just a a single item it could be a combination of of things that make you more passionate interesting you would you would loved it when i was when i was a kid my mom and a group of our neighbors went down to a woman that lived right down the street from us and she made everybody she made everybody's wedding cakes so uh and and i learned to make the frosting and learned to make the little roses and all that good stuff so always always making somebody's wedding cake i got sick of them (laughs) (laughs) but yeah yeah i got and i was i was like a pro at making leaves and getting the veins in the leaves just right and all that but yeah well if i ever get married again i know who to call yeah but i'm never getting married again i found a really good husband this time around well that's good that's good see the, the formula works so yes, it was it was funny because I did compare him to my list and and he was everything on my list um for the most part he hit all the non the non-negotiables and yeah and I was his list cuz it turned out he had a list too so there you was, go that was good <laughs> that's good so yes. emotion recipes in our brain I've never ever ever that before until you. So tell, explain that to me in a little bit more detail. I, I sort of got that, but not entirely. So the the brain works in concepts, right? Okay. We don't talk we don't talk about a bagel and and you know put together. Uh, you know, every bit of the ingredients in a bagel, all the salt and the the flour and the water and everything else that goes into a bagel. We We don't do that. What we do is we say bagel, and it's assumed that everything's in there. Well, the brain does the same thing. It takes details of a situation, and it takes um, an experience, and we label it, and it, it stores that like a, almost like a recipe, it, it, it's retrieved. So, for instance, Christmas and traditions for Christmas. We have 
an idea of Christmas for based on everything that we've experienced. So when you say Christmas, you are talking about your experience with Christmas versus if I say Christmas, I have a different experience. So these stores of experiences that we have in our heads, we have labels to them. And what happens is, is that we, if we don't have enough distinction or definition to these labels that we have for our various emotions, then we launch the same emotion all the time or more often. Because the brain, when it's in a situation, you can think of the ingredients as the sensory information that the brain gets. What does it see? Who is with us? What does it hear? What are the sounds going on? Um, who's talking? What do they sound like when they talk? Uh, what do I smell? Is there some taste involved? I mean, all of these things are the ingredients. How do I feel inside of my body? These are the ingredients that the brain gets. So then it says, okay, when was the last time I had something similar to this? And it looks to it, the concepts or recipes and says, okay, and then responds accordingly. And I always use the idea of going to a bagel store and saying, here's a bagel. I want a bagel. And the person behind the counter would say, well, what kind of bagel do you want? Well, I want a bagel. Every single one of those bagels has the basic ingredients, right? But until you can define it more distinctly and say, I want an everything bagel with butter and I want it toasted, then you're going to get just probably a plain bagel every single time because you don't have enough definition and distinction between what you want and what you don't want. And that's mm. the idea of emotional granularity. Okay. Did I just bore you? <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, so... Each past relationship we have yes. has an emotional tab in our brain. And we have all of these memories associated. So when we say that person's name, does that come up as a recipe or granularity or, or how would you describe that? So when you, I would call it, you could call it a recipe. Because okay, you're going what I was to thinking. pull in, yeah. Because you're going to pull together all of your experiences and all of your feelings around that person. Okay. Whether they're true or not is not the issue. That's just what you've got in your head. And so we have right. to understand, like that might not be true, could be true, but that's what we've got. So this is why when people are hurt in a prior relationship and they see any behavior that's similar in another relationship, they react to the past relationship. Right. Okay. All right. Well, I've, I've got this theory that, that we, we learn something about ourselves from every past relationship, good, bad, indifferent, what, it, what we, what we want, what we don't want, all that sort of thing. Um, but I was, I was thinking sure. that, our brain, an emotional recipe tied to that person's name for the relationship we've had in the past then. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but not even, just, not even just their name and to that person, but also to experiences within that relationship. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because it, it, could, it could be just the this the the wave of a hand right and right. and you're like oh he's gonna hit me and they're True. just being demonstrative you know they've just are Italian or something and their hands move a lot right True True Okay Interesting I like this Okay Okay in the granularity and diversity. All right, so the granularity is more the elements of our recipe? Having, being able to identify it in detail and with distinction. 
like I said, the bagel versus just having a bagel. You can be able to describe the bagel and distinguish it from other bagels. Okay. Where they're all bagels, but you are able to dis- make a distinction between them and, and potentially label them differently. For an onion bagel versus a garlic bagel versus an Asiago cheese bagel. More the specifics within a, a wider, broader category. Right. Getting down and, to the, and the more that okay. Yes, yes, because that helps. Think about yourself. Like if someone gives you detailed directions or, or abstract directions, the, the more detailed you are in any situation, the, the better you are at identifying. Well, if you don't get down to the specifics, it's hard to narrow in enough to be of real benefit, though, right? Yeah, exactly. And you have to look at it from a a standpoint for for um, your brain, so that you know your 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 label for something. is is detailed enough where that concept is detailed enough. Does that make sense? Well, that's like if you go to the doctor and you say, my body hurts, that's not right. real helpful. You know. Exactly. Exactly. The doctor goes, okay, exactly. what part of your body? Well, my body hurts. Well, yeah, I got that, but what part? <laughs> you know. Well, it hurts well, in the morning. Funny enough, it doesn't help. You what's know. funny enough, I'm so sorry, but I was going to say, what's funny enough is that the same interceptive sense that we have to help us identify our emotions in our body, it's the same sense that tells us that we're hungry, that we're sick, that we uh, need to use the restroom, that we need to work, work we're uh, got a temperature. These are, it's the same, same sense. So the more that you are able to connect to your emotions, and be able to feel them in your body and identify them, the more able you are to identify your physical states too. Like, am I sick? Am I hungry? And be able to describe how you feel internally. And I will tell you, that has been like a a noticeable difference for myself even. Okay. So why, why do you think that people can do this with other elements of their life, but not with their emotions. Because I think that there's a lot of stigma around emotions. And there's this, people think that there's emotions that are soft or girly, and boys don't feel certain emotions when they're just information. Emotions are information that tell you and help you to decide, like, do, is this dangerous or is it not? Is it desirous or is it unpleasant? It's, it's information. And the other part of it is, is that we, with our brain, remember our brain's a predictor and it doesn't get its predictions right all the time. In fact, most of the time when we predict things like, oh, if I feel this, it's going to be really, really bad, we're wrong. People predict all the time, oh, this relationship is going to be great or this, uh, I'm going to get a great grade. And we aren't always right, but we also predict that we're going to feel more or, or worse and we also rarely get that right. So the, the fear or the belief of our predictions kind of gets us in, into trouble sometimes instead of just saying, okay, this is, this is information and is it, is it good information or not? And helping to learn how to distinguish that. I, well, I was just thinking, I may be completely here, but it, it kind of like our intuition. You know, our intuition tells us things, and sometimes we ignore it because we just don't like the message we're getting. Yeah, you know, it's a funny thing. I uh, was reading this book but called The Secret Life of the Mind, and uh, something else, and then this, this, the second title is The Secret Life of the Mind. Um, but the author, who's a neuroscientist, 
said that an interesting thing about our our intuition, and he said that in situations where we have like one choice, where we're looking, we have a choice of you know two cars. That you know, using our cognitive brain to make a choice is is a good way to go. But when there's lots of information to that's involved in making a decision, that it's better to go with your gut because your brain can only consciously give you so much information at once and that our instincts actually uh, work better for decision-making when we, we lean upon it. And I thought that was interesting. I totally agree. I, yeah. I've, I've learned, just go with my gut. That's the way to go. So... But but I know a lot of times your your gut may be telling you something that is right on target, although it may not be what you want to hear. It's the right way to go. So I was just thinking maybe yeah. that's that could be the problem that your gut's giving you the right answer, but it's not the one you want. <laughs> so you just ignore it, and your emotions yeah. could be the same way. They they could be giving you the right answer, and you're like, but I don't like that one. <laughs> so. I, I actually teach. I actually teach people. Um, there's people might, might not know this, but our our stomach has a a brain. They call it the second brain. But there's I think what is it? Uh, a couple million neurons. I can't remember the number, so don't hold me to it. And our heart has a small uh, quote unquote brain, and it's got forty thousand neurons, and it's a cluster, and it it behaves not exactly like our head brain, but it does behave in a brain-like fashion. And that these, each one of those brains can be utilized for making decisions by checking in, like, what does my heart say? What does my gut say? What does my uh, brain, my head say? And that when we learn to balance that, that we can make better decisions. There's actually a test that I share with students or people who attend my courses that they they can see like what brain that they lean upon because we all tend to think like okay I'm not going to listen to my emotions because they're going to lead me wrong when actually they don't necessarily do and sometimes our gut instincts can can lead us wrong if they're not filtered correctly so it's right. just it's just interesting I I think our human body is just fascinating oh yeah definitely it is it is but yeah i've I've gotten much more in tune with my body in the last six years, and it's uh learned a lot I've definitely learned a lot it talks so, to you it does it does and i have yeah. I have learned I must listen to it, and if I don't it it takes control like like when i'm I'm not sleeping like I need to, it puts me to sleep and I'm like and then I wake up and go, oh huh, okay, I need rest. <laughs> so, but it, it knows better than me when I need rest. Okay, so how do we take all these ideas and apply them to love? I would ask yourself, what do you need to feel love? And that might sound very strange, but I would say go sit in a room and be very quiet, pen and paper. There's a relationship between uh, the brain and the hand that it gets, it, it ignites when you write physically, write with your hand. Just ask yourself, what do you need? And even say your name. So I could sit there and say, Kim, what do you need to feel love? And then write it down and then ask again. Kim, what do you need to feel love? And then write it down and ask again and keep going. This exercise could reveal some very interesting things about you and what's going on in your head. And it might not reveal everything, but it's just your brain letting you know some of the things inside that you need to feel love. And it gives you an opportunity then when you're done with the exercise. And I I suggest that you go until you've exhausted and you can't think of anything. But even when you can't think of anything, just ask yourself one more time, you might be surprised. And, and look at that. And it might give you some, some 
ideas of where you're cooking a recipe that you don't want to cook anymore or where you're uh, kind of off track a bit. And so this will allow you to be more defined in your recipe for love and also to look at the dictionary with this thesaurus to see other words that are similar but distinct and start identifying uh, emotional states. And I'll give you an example that I love to share with people. Uh, the word Twitterpated came from the movie Bambi and right. Thumper yeah, you remember Thumper? I, I remember so Thumper and Twitterpated, yes. Yep. And so that is a great visual of how you feel when you first meet someone and you're just overwhelmed. And that feeling of Twitter patient is different from love. And so if you can stop yourself from going into love so quickly and, and be able to identify the various states of love, because love, if you look it up in the Greek language, has like seven definitions for what we term one word, love. So right. if we can look for those words or different words to help us distinguish the various kinds of love and use love more finitely, you know, something that you're passionate about. Unless you're passionate about some girl's shoes or some guy's motorcycle or car, don't use love. Use another word and see if it right. doesn't take on a different feeling inside of your body. True. Yeah, people toss love out there way too frequently, I think. Mm -hmm. And it, mm -hmm. it just it it doesn't have the meaning that I think it should to way too many people. It's just it's it's said way too easy about silly stuff, but just my opinion. <laughs> it, no, I, I can't agree with you more because there's even just putting hearts on things, we don't we you know, comments people make. There's no, there's very little um, ability to have a distinction between liking, really liking or, or loving or just, it, it's, it's just used way too often and in yeah. an inappropriate context. Yeah. Well, and relationships are the same way to a lot of people too, but that, that's a whole other discussion too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So speaking of relationships, how can we apply this to our relationships? I, so be, if you could, sorry to say this, but be more specific. In a current relationship, in a, in yeah, a to, buddy to a, relationship? Um, let, let's start with to a, a budding relationship, to one that's just getting started. I... I would definitely look at words that you can use to describe the stages of a relationship. So when a relationship is new, I already said Twitterpated, you might have even make up your own word. Like you're, you're in the middle between love and like, so use love like or come up with something. But you don't have to use the words out loud it's it's your your recipe it's your label and okay. be able to be able to distinguish the states of the relationship and have a clear definition of what love looks like and not confuse uh feelings in our groin and 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 the the passion that comes with a new relationship for love and right. and, and and being able to distinguish what that is. And I think having a clear idea of who you want to be, the, the qualities that you want in somebody that you want to spend the rest of your life with, because as you and I both know, passion goes away. And you have what's called storage in Greek, which is this long-term kind of love. And it's what happens when the hormones die down and so this is why understanding who you want to be in love with is very important. True. There needs to be a, a step between like and love because there is. There is a step between those two. 
and it needs to be acknowledged and have mm-hmm. a, a real term. People make up all these funky names for all this crazy stuff, but nobody has one for that yet. We need to come up with that. <laughs> all right. Well, you and I can work on that. We do. We need to work on that. Okay. And make sure people use it. Like I said, love, love is thrown around there way too casually, and it's taken way too casual, I think. But Yeah. My... Okay. So what... And... Go ahead. I was going to say, in a relationship, uh, I think that the harder parts are our negative um, thoughts that we get into, right? Don't you agree? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So I, I have way a lot of, of advice around that, and that's in my book, The Perfect Heart, um, it, on ways that you can refocus because... Our emotions, this is where becoming mindful is so key. Instead of letting our, our emotions drive our thoughts by trying to use our thoughts to define like what it is that really makes us upset, but also why we chose our spouse to be our spouse and to understand that our, our brain's desire to keep us healthy uh, and alive um, can interfere with our our healthy relationships. So by remembering and and looking for the the things and the qualities in our partners, which is why we chose them to begin with, can help to overcome some of the negative qualities that we see because it's just our brain focuses on the negative because it wants to protect us. True. <laughs> Sadly, it doesn't try to protect us from the negative, but no, it's but it is looking out for us. And it's, that's the important. Well, actually, it is because it's it's alerting you, right? This is negative. Right. Protect yourself. Yeah, that's true. So, what what are a couple pieces of advice that you can give the listeners to help them to better manage their emotions? Something to help them to to be able to manage their relationships better, because you know we we all get into relationships and then things just you know we we get in situations and emotions just you know emotions can just get raw sometimes. We we, we saw a lot of that during COVID. My goodness. Exactly. I'm, I'm going to share something from my book that I found very helpful for me, and I still do it and, and use it. If, if we're in a relationship where we're having a lot of trouble, like we're around each other way more than we used to, and this is kind of going back to what I just mentioned. But when we are able to pick, like you know how the more irritated you get with someone, like everything's wrong with them? Like they can't chew their food and you're not irritated. It's just how, how, how intense our uh, negative emotions can get. So what I recommend is that you pick no more than five, probably no less than two or three, things that your partner does that gets to you and say, I need you to work just on these things. This is what I need from you. And they do the same thing. And you, you come to an agreement that all you're going to do is just work on these three things. So if it's, if it's emptying the garbage or keeping the house clean, the, whoever has the, the, the other partner, they will do just that. And anything else that they do, you, don't have, you do not have a path to get mad at them for because you're focused on the things that they are doing for you. And all you have to worry about are the things that you're doing for them. And it's funny how when you start to get a need met, you start to forget all of the the little things that irritate you. So it's working on very specific, and this is where I go back into detailed, specific things that you can do for your partner that's not a long laundry list that feels overwhelming and unachievable, but just very focused so that 
you can have something that's measurable and achievable and demonstrates that you want to do something for your partner. And if your partner can't do three things for you, then you've got another problem, right? This is true. This is true. Does that one oh, work for you? That does. You know, I had I had a guest on one time, and she said that her and her husband um, had a, a preset meeting with each other every month, and I think it was on the full moon, actually. And they sat down and talked about, and, and they, they knew they were going to do this every month, and they sat down and talked to each other, and they had a set of questions they went through with each other. And for for that one one night, they each could bring, with no repercussions, they could each bring one thing that they wanted the other to do for them and to, to make, it, make a change. They knew that, that no matter what they said, there wasn't going to be any any repercussion. They, they were just, this is something that's been going on that bothers me, and I want you to do something about it. And, and each of them was going to have something that they were going to bring. I thought that was a good idea. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's, it's similar. It's a similar idea, right? It's, yeah. it's saying, I need this. Can, will you do this for me? Yeah, yeah. And like I said, just and, and they, well, I will say know. this one. This one couple, she he uh, she wanted a massage, but that didn't work out because it. Let's just say it didn't work out. Um, and it, it needs to be something meaningful, not trivial. You know what I mean? Like something that yeah. truly makes a difference in the emotions and 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 uh, needs being met. Yep. Massage <laughs> is not a bad idea, though. <laughs> so. Well, it was uh, someone always wanted it to. He wanted it always to lead to sex, and she was just wanting a massage, so it caused more conflict. So just be careful yeah. what you choose. Is all I'm saying. It needs yeah, to be that, meaningful. Yeah, that that can that can go there. All right. So how can listeners find out more about you? You can go to my website. It's Kim Corte, K-I-M-K-O-R-T-E dot com. Very good. And she has a neat video about sandwich making I think you might enjoy. I actually just found it today. And do you mind if I share the link? Uh, no, feel free. Go ahead. Awesome. Awesome. I am going to share all of her information and the replay for today's show will be there. And if you go to lovecoachjourney.com slash emotions, it will be there. So I've thoroughly enjoyed having you with me today. We had a good conversation. You gave me some interesting things to think about. Interesting things. I enjoyed speaking with you. You are very thoughtful, uh, interviewer and I appreciate that very much. You're you were a joy to be with this past hour. Well I said I just interesting interesting stuff to to mull over. I always I always make sure I have I have some free time after after the interviews because there's always these new things racing through my head to think about. So <laughs> and I hope the listeners feel the same way. So I hope so too. And I, you know, it's always nice to know that if there's something that someone heard that helped them, if they reach out to me on my site, it, it just makes me feel good to know that I help people because really that's what I'm about. I mean, I need exactly. to make money, but I, my goal is to help make a difference in the lives of people. So if there's, Anything that, that I've said or questions anyone has, they can, they can reach out to me on my, my, my website. Exactly. Well, that's, that's why I have contact um, options on my site, and I've, I've always got ready for love radio at gmail.com for the same reason. I love to hear, you know, if something sparked a comment or a thought or that kind of thing. So, you know, so people reach out at any time. And like I said, the replay will be posted. It actually will be posted as soon as the show is over. So thank you very much for being here. And listeners, I'll be with you next time on Ready for Love Radio.